0: Welcome to the inaugural podcast of RPG Ramblings, a show exploring various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. This episode features two separate interviews, one with Tim Shorts and the second with Ben Lawrence. Tim Shorts is a longtime fixture to the OSR community. For over a decade, he has written blogs, produced zines, and even finds time to produce his own podcast. While the name Tim Shorts may not ring a bell, the name Gothridge Manor should as it is the moniker for which he is best known. In this episode, we will discuss his beginnings and evolution into the writing and the production of RPG content. We will also discuss the starting of the RPG Zing group on Facebook, which is a fast and growing community. The deep dive portion is with Ben Lawrence. Ben is not only known for his blog, Mazarian's Garden, but also for Through Old Tan's Door, a trippy OSR setting. That is produced in a Zine format. We discuss the details in the production and selling of through old Tan Store and cover the do's and don'ts that Ben learned from his experiences. Now it is time to get rambling. So the question I have for you, Tim, is: uh, Can mm-hmm. you give me a little background on your on your gaming history? So, what what's what started this whole path?
1: Uh, I was like the summer or not summer the. Mm. Winter of 79, and I couldn't tell you if it was like December winter or January winter of 79. Uh, I live in northwest Pennsylvania, and we just had one of our snow days. It was like negative 20 out, like three or four feet of snow outside. And uh, my friend called me over and said if I wanted to try a new game. And I told him I wasn't interested because I was so sick of board games. i just like, I can't play another game on Monopoly, or I'm just going to impale my head on something. And uh, he said, "No, this is something different." So I went over there, and it happened to be uh, *Keep on the Borderlands*. And I'm so I'm looking at this kitchen table, looking for a board to play on, and there's nothing there. And he's just got this booklet, and and I'm like, "Okay." And we didn't have the rules, we didn't have anything, but like I think after about ten minutes of it, that you know, I was hooked, and that was like you know, '79. So you're talking about like a lot of decades ago <laughs> so so yeah so we, we just kind of made it we liked it so much we didn't know the rules we just then we just started creating our own rules and, we, and of course we didn't have the dice so rated yahtzee dice and rated um other games that had dice and if you rolled a six it was a wound two wounds was a kill and if you rolled a one that was an insta kill so that's how we played for the long time until we ended up getting the actual rule books
0: that's not really even a, that's not a bad approach, actually.
1: <laughs> right yeah right <laughs> simplify but what we learned though, that one of the things we did because our games were very short using that system yeah but then we started using the charisma stat because we figured well that would gain you followers so then we started making up followers and we had no rhyme or reason we just named them but you know uh different things so that way we would send our followers in to go die first so we could go through so we could get past the first room or two in the dungeon before we died again so we got a little bit further
0: I think for some people like the, the, the magic users, that actually would, would be uh, a benefit to go to that system.
1: Well, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) probably. Yeah. Yeah. No, they'd have just as equal chance to, uh, you wouldn't have to worry about armor. None of that nonsense. You could just, uh, yeah.
0: So did it matter scale? So you could have like, if you had a large monster and you had a, did it really matter with that D six?
1: We didn't understand any of the rules. I mean, none of the, we, you know, we saw like the stat lines, but the, we didn't know what AC meant. You know, none, none of that, none of that was in the culture back then. Right. It was still new. There was, we didn't know what hit points were armor class or hit dice. We saw the abbreviations, but it didn't really mean anything to us because we had no experience with this. So we just, from what little we could glean from the the adventure. I mean, you've got, you got monsters and you got treasure and you had to beat the monsters to get the treasure. Right. And that, you know, so we had it as about as basic as you could possibly get at that point. And, uh, yeah, but it was just, it was a lot more fun than like, you know, trying to get park place. Right. <laughs> you know, a lot more interesting. So, yeah, it was. It, but,
0: but you guys came up with a usable system that was logical. I mean, that's kind of impressive.
1: Well, i have to definitely give my friend Dwayne the nod on that. He was definitely the, the, uh, mastermind i think on that uh, we we because he was really he, he's still very good at like rules uh creating and breaking and testing and stuff so yeah
0: yeah because that's not really far from just uh war game rules
1: really at that pretty point. much yeah yeah but we'd never we had never war game before either. we didn't <laughs> even hear about it before i mean like i said our our games are always board games at that you know until that point
0: so maybe you mentioned. So, what size of community are you from, and when this all occurred?
1: Pennsylvania, rural backwoods, Pennsylvania kind of.
0: Yeah, so I come from a backyard. small town, and I think what we benefited from was boredom, right? Yeah, because I think if we all had YouTube back then, we probably never would have played our video games. But you're stuck, right, in right. the middle of nowhere with nothing much to do, and the most exciting thing is this book full of just strange ideas and rules that you're trying to wrap your mind around and yeah. making it happen.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, cause like there were no game stores back then what they were doing um, they were selling the books and from like train and uh, train and airplane hobby shops so that's and we only had one in town and it had just this tiny little section on the floor where they had like a couple dragon magazines and every once in a while they would get a copy of the one rule book or another and god forbid they got in a set of dice because those were like gold back and you couldn't find them anywhere and um you know, there, there would be a battle of us gamers like running to the game store to try to get those dice because they would only get one at a time and you never knew when they were going to get the next set.
0: Yeah, I mean, in those days, even it was like when you put, would, you only had a limited choice for the modules. Yeah, very and, limited.
1: And, yeah. and then
0: you would like, we would just would pour over them because you only had so much money.
1: Uh, that, that was a big thing. Absolutely. <laughs> That's like I was telling you about my friend Dwayne. We we kinda had it we strategized. So when we got our money, like he would buy the player's handbook. I would buy the dungeon master's guide. He would buy like the basic modules and I buy the advanced D D modules. So we kind of, you know, divided and conquered as much as we could back in the time and teamed up because, you know, neither one of us had very much money, but we tried to cover as much area we could doing it that way and we were really good about sharing stuff and and trying to figure stuff out
0: so in your youth did you have some sort of like campaign or was it just every module you just would play and that was just what it was and you didn't worry about continuity
1: that's yeah for the for the first few years I mean that's pretty much all it was is you would uh and just the way the kind of the I guess if you want to call it the gaming culture was back then you carry around a folder full of pre-made characters and then someone would say, Hey, I'm going to run this adventure. And then you would go through your folder, pick out one of those characters and then you would just go through that module. Right. You know, and it was a few years later on, then we started getting into more of a, what you would call like a campaign or a series of adventures that kind of interconnected. Otherwise it was, very episodal kind of adventures.
0: So did so we would kind of do something similar. But even the the adventures were they all on the same map, or they just your character just went through a sequence?
1: Uh, you mean for the different adventures we yeah. played? Yeah,
0: like like it was like the hidden shrine one one week, and then it could be the hill setting uh, the next week, and you didn't really care where it was on the map. It just was...
1: exactly, yeah. It was just yeah. That was just the adventure. We were playing and i I think during that time it was kind of an interesting time because that's when we were trying to figure out the rules like everybody by then had gotten maybe the player's handbook or the 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 um um, dungeon master's guide but there was a lot of in play and interpretation to the rules depending on who you gamed with and it was kind of interesting like who would figure out what rule or you know so you you would You'd adventure with different people and you'd learn like oh that's what that rule means or you know this is what that means because i was because i back then i didn't know how people or characters got more hit points so when i looked in the back of the dungeon masters guide i don't know if you remember the first edition one where they had like the whole uh list of monsters in the back and then their experience points so they'd have their experience points plus four slash hit points I always thought if they killed that monster, they got four more hit points
2: uh, added to
1: their thing. I didn't, you know, I didn't quite understand the four per hit point. I read it as you got so if you killed a hill, hill giant, you got four more hit points to your total than when you, you if you were able to kill it. And that's how people got more hit points because I hadn't figured out the because I didn't have the player's handbook. So I didn't understand the progression. So that's kind of how I interpreted it at the time
0: well and that's not unreasonable either i mean it kind of makes you wonder what kind of game would it be if you were to take those rules as you understood them and now <laughs> as an adult try and make sense of them and actually make a playable system
1: absolutely yeah it'd be, it was kinda, it's kind of fun li- remembering which you know how we interpreted rules and how we just kind of you know Gorilla, what do you call I wouldn't even gorilla game rolled through it, you know? You know, but, but was, in a sense a that,
0: that did that does happen, right? I mean you killed mm-hmm. you killed a monster, you got XP, you leveled up, and you got HP, right? Right. You just bypassed the the the, the malarkey of keeping <laughs> right. that tally. Exactly. Why, why, why deal with that? Just add four hit points.
1: Right, right, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. So have you gamed all your life or was there like a pause?
1: Yeah, there was. Um, I, I've pretty much game steady through most of it, but during college I was out of it for quite a while. Um, not ne- necessarily for my, myself, but the the folks that I gamed with at that time had moved away. This is before like the internet was really around. I mean, it was, it was coming, coming there, but I didn't even have a computer cause I, I getting on, uh, Bulletin boards, you know, th- that was about all you could do when the, the oh, you yeah. know, came out, you know, so I wasn't interested in that. So I kind of just took a pause from it. But I, the funny thing is, is during all that time, I was always doing, um I was always writing adventures or I, I, I was writing fiction for a while too and, and kind of doing that. But it was always coming from a little bit of a gaming perspective too. And, uh, and I always was reading my books because I got big into GURPS kind of in there for a while, too. So I had all those. And I oh, still yeah. have them all those fantastic GURPS books, which are almost like, you know, really good historical textbooks in a way, too.
0: Oh, yeah. They're, they're widely noted for for that. I, I, I took a parallel path with the hero system.
1: Oh, did you? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I understood. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I mean that was kind of the conceit you could do anything with it right but mm-hmm. it, but in the end I think it it by it, by doing everything it still doesn't provide a different feel as far oh, as okay. you know you you can do this but it always still feels like a certain system it's like you, it's hard I think in some ways you know like like D&D for instance produces a D&D feel or right. you know Call of Cthulhu produces a Call of Cthulhu feel I think it's that's where I think these these generic systems kind of lack uh, lacked was the ability you could kind of mechanically do things, but it wouldn't necessarily always produce the same kind of play.
1: Well, the funny thing about going to Gerbs is what it did is it. I mean, I've I we had been playing like Advanced Dungeons and Dragons like since '79, and then we kind of we did we shifted to GURPS around 86 so we didn't even I didn't even play d d for second edition or 3.0 or 3.5 or even 4.0 I tried it once and I was good and um but the thing is, is when I got into GURPS it, it for whatever reason it opened up my mind to more role-playing possibilities which you don't hear a lot about in GURPS right. but it had but it was funny because Rob Conley real good friend of mine he, he's you know I gamed with him you know, forever now, he's the one who introduced me. And I was like, he kept on introducing me to systems, but I was just, you know, it's sort of the same system. It just had different things, but then he introduced me to GURPS and it was the quirks that got me, the one-point right. role-playing thing. I'm like, what's a quirk? And he explained it to me. He goes, oh, I like that. And it kind of opened up this, now I can take this fighter, but then I, he wasn't just a generic fighter anymore. He had, you know, he wore red clothes or, you know, coughed for when he lied. And, you know, now I had some fun role-playing things I could do to it, even though I could have done it before. I don't know, having it written on paper at the time, just sort of, and, and getting credit for it almost uh, opened up a whole new role-playing aspect to the game that I, I hadn't explored before.
0: Yeah, and I agree that, that that whole, the idea of complications or quirks mm-hmm. or various things definitely, I think, was an important technology. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, the, the only problem I've kind of seen in the past with it is that it's sort of incumbent. Um, it's a, it's generally negative for the character and characters aren't always incentivized to Point it out or play, unless you are a person who's good at role playing.
1: Well, see, I mean, I love doing that stuff. Yeah. If my guy has a disadvantage, I'll, I'll run with it because I, I'm one of those guys. Like a lot of OSR guys, if they they don't, if like say I roll up a character and he's got like three sixes and four three nines or something like that, I will run that character because I'll find a way to have fun with it and you know just kind of play up on the disadvantage because it's you can you you know you can you know take on the world with 18s but you know let's see if i can get through this pub with all these sixes this is gonna be right. fun
0: <laughs> right know? or if you have a a, a, a mage it isn't smart
1: mm-hmm. but right. all of a sudden he's yeah.
0: ninth level he is right. the dumbest mage in the entire realm Absolutely.
1: but he's still ninth
0: level mage that's he's much more bo- interesting
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it, it makes it fun and, and i and i like that aspect of gaming and that because I'm not a power gamer at all. I'm just looking for uh, uh, a fun character and and uh, you know some place to take him and see what I can get him into. So what transitioned you to start blogging? Actually, it was Rob. Uh, Rob Conley introduced me to the OSR blogs It was like real. It's basically in its infancy back in 2008 and. Um, I just was kind of resistant to it, not for any particular reason. I guess I just didn't want to, I guess I just didn't want to blog. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, I, maybe I didn't understand it. I'm not really sure what my thought process was back then, but then, you know, and I, and I was still playing, we were still playing GURPS and we weren't in, I wasn't in the OSR. I hadn't played D and D since think, 86. And we're talking about 2008 now, you know, so it'd been decades. Uh, but then it, then I, um, Was reading a few of the blogs. I'm like, okay, I'll I'll give him a chance. And um, I fell on to Castles and Crusades. And I ended up getting the books. And I was like, boy, I really want to get my D20 out again and roll that. It's been so long since I've rolled that thing. And it was just... I don't know. I just, then then I then I caught the then I caught the fever after that. Then I was like, oh, I like this. I want to do this. And and then Rob just encouraged me and helped me out because technologically, I'm not the most advanced person. I have, you know, I kind of struggle with this stuff. So Rob helped me up, set up my blog and everything. And um and then after that, I just kind of uh, ran with it and just didn't know enough to stop. I guess. <laughs> so I think
0: my, by my calculations, what almost twelve years.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I think in, I don't remember when I started it. I'm bad at that. But I think it was 2009 I started and maybe it was in April.
0: Yeah, that's well, I looked it up. At least that's what's showing your blog is April. Well,
1: well, okay. And then that's probably it. Yeah, that'd be what it is. Because I didn't, I don't delete anything whatever my first post is still my first post there I think I probably wrote I think I wrote about my d20 actually my very first post <laughs> yeah what I also
0: <laughs> noticed is your first just kind of just glancing through those I mean I think your earlier posts were longer they got a little bit shorter as they as they went uh, I imagine as you're over time you maybe felt didn't feel the need to be pushing as many words or did things change your focus on the
1: blog I don't, you know, I don't know. Cause I had a, it's, it's a bit of a mix with my blog. I mean, I, 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 I don't write in it as much as I used to. I kind of go through uh, spurts with it where I'll write three or four posts in a week, and then I won't write anything for another three or four weeks or something like that. Um, but I think back then I had more, I was, I think in the beginning I was telling more stories in a way about, you know, different things. And then, then I got more into talking about what is going on now, or what I was doing on now. So it's less background oriented, more current. And I and I just and I kind of learned too that uh, um, my shorter blogs got more attention than some of my longer blogs too. So I so I tried to shorten them up a little bit for folks too.
0: Yeah, I'm sure over time too, it just it you know myself, I I tend to avoid long amounts of reading for whatever reason. I don't know why, but.
1: (laughs) I have a hard time uh, reading on a computer screen for a long time. If it's printed out, I got, I have no problem. For whatever reason, if I got to read it on the computer screen, it's, it's much more difficult for me to focus on it. I don't, I'm not sure why.
0: Yeah. And I think it also requires a longer article, obviously, you know, requires a longer amount of attention. And I think there's always a place for those. Mm-hmm. You know, but maybe you're just not wanting to vote, you know, 20 minutes to really thinking about something, but you're open to, you know, eight minutes of, of looking and reading and digesting.
1: Oh, Yeah. Back, back a little while back ago, like blogger got this, uh, I don't know if it's an app or a widget or whatever it's called. And it was a, a PDF thing that you could put on your blog thing. So if you actually wanted to create someone's, um, post into a PDF, you just push that button and then it made it printable for you. Right. And so that's what I used to do for the longer ones, and and that I would do PDF or maybe I would file it away because some of the the things you got, were you're like, oh, this is really good. I want to refer back to this. So that's how I would kind of consume longer blog posts.
0: So did that just dovetail like so? So the zines. I mean, you're you've been doing this mm-hmm. for a while. Yeah. I mean, this seems to kind of almost be a natural dovetail into doing zines, right? Mm-hmm. The, the blog posts, or did that not happen that way? I mean.
1: Actually, well, I've always, I used to do a zine, like, way back in the 80s. Uh, I, I always, what, what's the machine where you turn and it's got that horrible? Mimeograph. Mimeograph, thank you. Um, and we were just doing, like, random weird stuff on there. And it was mainly gaming related, but we did music ones, too, because back then all the zines were, like, punk rock zines it's all i saw anywhere you know were just punk rock ones and that i had to go to cleveland to find those i go to the record store so like see. i've
0: never had any experiences with zines up until recently so oh, I mean, okay. So, so where did you like for the whole zine thing you're talking about mm-hmm. the music zines i mean how were you introduced to those
1: i just found they they were just lay they were just laying around they were just free just so, laying around yeah, yeah. What they would do is... Like, like, these,
0: like where? Like where would they At, be at the record around? stores. Okay.
1: Yeah, so we would go to these different record stores. And it was mainly in Cleveland because that's where my friend would always go. And they had these fantastic record stores where they actually sold bootleg copies of stuff. And so you could get like, like my favorite one was to raid the Pink Floyd section and people would have like live recordings of their concerts. And I would try to buy as many of those I could afford. But like on the top of the you know, how the album, you know, they were lower, they weren't these big tall racks, but they were low racks. Oh yeah. They would have different zines on the top and most of them were punk rock zines and they were just there for you to take because the charge money was anti-punk. I mean, you couldn't, right. you couldn't charge for that. Cause that's, that's the cap, but your job was you read the zine and then you were supposed to your job as a reader was to drop it wherever you finished it. So the next person could come along, pick it up and read it.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: Yeah, yeah. And they would be held together by safety pins, uh, uh, sewn together with shoestrings or um, gum. They would chew gum and then put it in the middle there and just push the pages together, you know, just <laughs> whatever, you know. And they were always like these horribly, uh, you know, Xerox copies or uh, things, but they just had this raw energy about them that was just a lot of fun you No, know, i mean and then i'm guilty too i forgot what those tracks were called the you the 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 religious folks would leave these weird little religious tracks yeah like, like the chick little, tracks chick that's it chick tracks I collected those. I love the chick tracks. I mean, I'm not a religious person at all, but, you know, it's a thousand degrees in hell and not one drop of water. How could you not pick that up? (laughs) Absolutely. You know, that's just, that's gold. I mean, I love that stuff. I would find those all over the place. So I had this, I had my little collection of tiny little chick tracks that I would keep too, because I just was fascinated by them and everything. And then I was also deconstructing them too. I was trying to see how they made them and see how I could make my own chick track. But I would just do... Uh, uh, my own version of what they were doing so what would
0: and when you do your version of what they were doing what, mm-hmm. what does that mean like what did what, what was it that was the output
1: i would answer their question or something like that like you know it's a thousand degrees in hell and not one drop of water well then i would make a zine and i would and i made a guy who sold water in hell and then you know just kind of you draw draw like these horrible stick because I'm a horrible artist. I draw very bad stick figures but I would just do it to try to mimic what they were doing to see how they put it together and then just kind of handwrite it and just do one version and then I would show my friends they'd laugh and that was pretty much it.
0: So did, did you make copies and, and drop them off different places?
1: No, no. I would just do one copy and just kind of show to my friends and everything just as a kind of a goof spoof thing because they always thought it was funny too. So well, I mean, it may be interesting
0: if you could, if you, if you were to do that, and then somebody would have a track to answer your track.
1: Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, start a whole new trend there. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That would have been because it, because I know there was another guy in the school that I was doing. He was doing different tracks like that, but he his uh, he had access to a lot better. that's where I got the mimeograph machine. Actually, was from him because he asked me because I was starting to with another friend, the music one. And he, uh, he's like, yeah, you can borrow mine. And that's what we did.
0: Yeah, that's just absolutely amazing. So so when you went over to um, doing so you started doing the, the so you were doing punk rock zines is that what you're doing or they wasn't
1: doing punk rock zines that's the ones I was finding and collecting that was my inspiration for it but like my music like we were doing gaming things we were like putting um what were we doing we were (laughs) my, my my other friend Heath he was a he was a punk rocker guy and a real he's like one of those like really smart people he's stupid kind of guy yeah Yeah, and but we'd have so much fun together. And so what we would do is we take monsters from the monster manual and then have them fight different rock bands or have them fight different punk bands or and see who would win. And and you know, and that was our zine. It was like, you know, four four pages or something. You know, something goofy like that with the worst art you could imagine because neither one of us could draw. Yeah. So so what happened to those? Oh, I I, they just time. i had them for the i had a lot i had them for we didn't make a lot of them we made probably like three or four and then um i think i had them for a while but then uh they weren't made with the best paper they, they just kind of fell apart too it's like a combination of that because that that mimeograph ink yeah one thing it it stinks oh yeah really bad and yeah. then it also I didn't realize this too, but apparently whatever's in it, the ink, it grows mold very well. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. So some of those things started getting kind of stinky too, from like the ink and the mold that was growing on them.
0: So really this whole ecosystem only works in a city as far as going back to the, the, the punk rock zines in a Mm -hmm. city, that's large enough to have a population that will cycle through an area.
1: Yeah, I mean definitely. I mean if, if I was gonna do around here and I and I did a zine about like uh, John Deere's and country music, yeah there'd be there it would circulate. It would be great, you know. <laughs> but, they have, but, but that's so it would not be, gonna happen.
0: It'd be <laughs> neat if you could do I just made me think if you could do an RPG zine
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the idea is you would just do like hex one and you put out twenty copies. And then somebody would take that and then maybe they do Hex too, but it would all be distributed back in a, several like game stores. I mean, it'd be interesting if there could be that same kind of conversation where like telephone, you don't know where it's going to end.
1: We tried that a few times actually back in the kind of the early, I think it was the early G plus days where people would start what we, what we called the traveling notebook. So, like, I would get get a notebook and I would write a page or something like that, and then I would send it to one of the other gamer guys, and then his job was to fill out the next page and continue it on and, you know, develop the world or adventure or whatever. And we'd started several of those, but I couldn't tell you how any of them ended though. <laughs> it was, you know, it was we had a lot of energy into it and excitement had a lot of fun with it, but um, I don't recall what the end results were at all.
0: So what started your um, – so as far as the uh, RPG Zine group in mm-hmm. Facebook. Yeah. So what what caused you to say one day, hey, I want to do that?
1: Well, we actually had an RPG Zine group in uh, Google Plus, a guy named uh, Reverend – Reverend Dak he's a California guy I guess he was like deep hip deep in the zine scene out in California which you know, definitely has a richer um place out there for for zines and um and uh, he asked me since I had been doing the manor if we wanted to get together and do an RPG zine group in Google plus I'm like absolutely and we we did one there and it, it it was kind of popular. It did pretty good, and you know, because there was a lot of energy in Google Plus back then. But then, as Google Plus waned, so did the group, and kind of, um, kind of just faded off, and then eventually died with with Google Plus. So what ended up happening? I started another one in Miwi. I said, okay, I'll well, I'll just start one in MeWe and I was trying to find Dak to bring him into that one, but I couldn't find him. But in we, I just I I think we got up to about 300 people, and it just it. It just didn't jive and I don't know, the interaction just really didn't work. I couldn't seem to get the same feedback and energy into that group. So I thought, you know, you know. So I just said I I asked anybody who wanted to take it over, they could. I said, I'm gonna go over to Facebook and went (laughs) in because Facebook I have a love-hate relationship because for the longest time I couldn't get on Facebook for just because they had issues with my name. It's funny. <laughs> they they didn't think Tim Shorts was a real name, but they were fine with Gothridge Manor. Don't ask me. Just, just idiots. So, um, yeah, Eric Tenkar probably, if, yeah, he, he knows my issues with Facebook. Uh, uh, but I just decided, you know what? I'm going to, I, I, I think I searched Facebook to see if they've already had one because I thought, well, for sure, they got to have a zine group on Facebook. They got a group, you know, a group for, you know everything in here, then and I was like, oh, they didn't have one, so I was like, oh, I'm going to start one up then. And I didn't, I didn't have any expectations. I knew I could get like a handful of folks, and and you know, we could just kind of talk some zine stuff, share some stuff, share zines, and everything. And I never expected it to to where it's at now. I mean, it's it's done exceptionally well.
0: So, what were you thinking as far as when you did this? I mean, what level of of um, activity what sort of things did you expect when you started this
1: i wanted it to just be a friendly um c- conducive atmosphere to creativity i wanted people to come in and, and i'm talking about the zines as a whole so not just like the the writing but also the artists that do it the layout guys like you and bring all those resources into one spot and then And just share our stuff. And, you know, hey, I got this zine, you know, here it is, you know, because it's funny, because they're for a while, and I still get them, they're always kind of concerned about sharing their zine. And I'm like, the only rule I have in, in the zine, I don't know if you've seen my rule, is if you share something cool, you have to you have to have a link with it. You're not allowed to share it unless there's a, We can find out where we can get it. Right. You know. <laughs> Don't tease us. I want to know where I can get my hands on stuff. So, but I I wanted people to come in like and have a friendly atmosphere where they're free. New people who haven't even read a zine yet, or people who've been doing it for years, and and being able to access that information and and um, you know, feel get that courage enough to start their own. I think the, with Zine Quest, I think
0: this was the perfect time. I think with was Zine Quest 2 on the heels of that. Mm-hmm. I think the first one, everybody's like, whoa. The second one was like, hmm, maybe I can do that. And I think there's even a larger group of people wanting to do the third. And I think you mm-hmm. this really hit the right time.
1: I Yeah, I mean, Zine Quest is definitely the reason why, probably one of the main reasons why I started the Zine group too. I thought it would be... Uh, because I can't remember when I started this group, I th- was as in was it maybe in May or June or something of this year. I mean, it's not a full year yet, but I, I don't remember when I started it, but uh, I uh, thought it'd be a cool place to, for Zine Quest too. That was one of the thoughts like people could come and just share what they're going to work on. And if anybody had any questions. I mean, we got Phil Reed in there, and Phil Reed's like you know <laughs> the freaking machine, man. He, 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 and he made such good stuff too. It's like it's not even you know slapped together stuff. You got high yeah. quality, and he's just he's just pouring it out of him. And and it, yeah. and but he but he's so accessible too. At the same time, like if if you need to ask him a question, he's there and he'll answer. He's he's not you know he'll share his information, which is exactly what I wanted to see you know these these uh old pros like uh phil helping someone who's starting out with their first long arm stapler you know
0: (laughs) yeah and i and i agree with that in fact i will say that i don't necessarily have a lot of experience with various facebook groups um, but i would say that this is by far one of the most friendly helpful um energetic um group that i've ever seen
1: Oh, that's great. Good. Yeah. Cause I don't belong to a lot. I'm my Facebook experience is fairly limited and everything. So, and I belong to a few groups and everything, but yeah, I've had a few people comment, and then it's, it's really nice to hear because that's, that's, that's kind of what I want. I deal with so much crap in my day job with all right. the, you know, with all the heavy stuff and everything. I, I don't have time for like Facebook drama or anything like that. I, I, I don't have any interest in, and I won't, I like if somebody brought that into Facebook, I mean, I'll I'll be paid. Maybe they're having a bad day. Right. You know, Hey Jeff, I mean, you know, maybe curb that down a little bit. We want to keep it friendly here. You know, if you're having a bad day, I understand, but you know, maybe just try to chill it out. But if you're one of those ones that continues to do it, then I'd be like, you know, I'm sorry, you gotta, you know, I can't, I can't have you in here and everything. And I haven't had, you know, knock on wood, haven't had the, the only person I had to block from the, the, um, group is uh some bot got in and was starting to like you know advertise some right something or whatever but well, yeah I mean, like, that's they,
0: it. like they don't read what the exactly what this group is mm. and i will say that i i've also been um impressed that you have not been real strict about zine like some people put stuff out that's actually like books and you're like that's fine you don't really swat it down and- no
1: because i mean zines it's it's hard to if you start defining zines in a way, I think you get away from being zine-ish, you know, you start putting, because I mean, a lot of people think it's the standard vision these days, right. this is the folded over paper, but I have zines from, you know, that are full page that are, you know, stapled together. And I got the long, I got zines that are legal pads sized and they're folded into like tri-folded some weird ass size that I have a hard time putting on my shelf because it's all weird <laughs> right so I try not to to be real real uh, strict on that I mean I think it's to me sometimes it's more of the the philosophy or the energy they bring to it too and I, I guess that you get into that do-it-yourself part of it also you know
0: Yeah. And I think for myself, there was a a point where I was kind of concerned, like maybe I was stretching beyond what, you know, you never stated rules. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going beyond these boundaries, but you, but I try to keep it within a, you know, the, the folded whatever. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but I, but I think a lot of the stuff, even the stuff that are books and such, they carry that spirit, you know, like knock, like knock, like why would you not let knock?
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The thing is like some massive encyclopedia of like, I don't know how many, what was it like 250 pages or something like that? Yeah. how
0: Why would anybody not buy that?
1: I Yeah. And I mean, and then and then the people who, you know, maybe some people would get upset because it doesn't fit like a zine, what they think. As yeah. Yeah. Kind of. And I and I try to stay away from that. And 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 nobody has really got upset about anything. Everybody's been pretty accepting of stuff that's been coming in, even the stuff that maybe would be kind of pressing the boundaries. But that's the whole part of zines. I think is kind of you know doing some boundaries. I mean, I still have that punk rock kind of yeah philosophy towards it. It's like nobody can tell you what your zine's supposed to be or what it's supposed to look like. It's you know it's 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 your thing and everything. And, um, and I kind of want to bring that, you know, focus on RPG in the group, of course. You know I don't want right. to have, you know, you know, landscape painting zines in there, although that might be cool too. I mean, if, if, if the person was like able to do, you know, if he, maybe he was an artist and he was doing artwork for, you know, somebody's zine and they wanted to just share their own zine, I, I, I probably wouldn't have a problem with it. I'd be like, right. you know, why not? It's not hurting anybody, you yeah. know?
0: Well, it looks like we're hitting up against the time-space continuum.
1: It does look like it, yeah. Yeah.
0: And I just uh, just want to say uh, I really appreciate uh, you starting this, this group. And I encourage anybody and everybody out there who, um, if you're not necessarily interested in making zines, it's definitely so much stuff to put out. So many mm-hmm. people putting links to, to excellent work. Um, yeah. And it's just a positive community to, to be a part of. And I think in this day and age, it doesn't hurt to have a place that uh, is positive that yeah,
1: absolutely part of. yeah safe creative space to kind of explore yeah absolutely
0: okay well thank you very much tim and uh until next time uh you take care all right thanks jeff appreciate it all right bye it is time for a deep dive <laughs> Today in RPG Ramblings, we have Ben Lawrence, and we are gonna discuss through Ultan's Door, a zine that uh, Ben published and uh, has fulfilled. And we'll go through uh, really what it took to take this from a concept to an actual finished product in the customer's hands. So thank you for joining me, Ben. I'm glad to be here. So you have this the successful uh, two zines so far with more coming out through old 10 mm-hmm. door. Um, and I'll give the, um, and you can find that on, um, uh, uh, you have on your website and as well, and I'll give that later as well as, uh, on drive through RPG. And you're also having more, uh, issues coming out. So I guess the question is, um, I think I asked this before, but I'll just go ahead and ask it again. Um, uh, so
2: you didn't put this through a Kickstarter, correct? Right. So the first two issues, I didn't kickstart. I um, just made the zines and started selling them, uh, promoting them through um, social media. Uh, And that's how I did it for the first two zines. For the next zines, because uh, of the timing of their release uh, during Zine Quest is when they would be coming out. So I don't think that's going to work. So I'm going to kickstart. The, the next uh, double issue three. And there's also a kind of companion adventure that um, Gus L has written that is, uh, goes with the double issue three. Uh, so there are three zines I am going to kickstart in February, but that'll be my first Kickstarter. The first two issues uh, were done um, without, without a Kickstarter, yeah.
0: So you set up a web store. Is this the primary way that you uh, sold these? or are, are, are selling these for the, at least the print editions?
2: Yeah, so um, yes, that's, that's right. I, yeah, so if we wanted to go through the process, the process, um, yeah, sure, let's start with the webs, web store. So uh, I looked at different options for a web store. Uh, I looked at some, some different possibilities. I settled on what seemed to me like the absolute most basic, but very functional uh, one that's out there, which was Big Cartel. Big Cartel, if you only, if you have, I forget how many products it is, I think less than five um, is free to have a web store. You get a domain address. It's very simple to set up. There are customizable themes You don't need to know HTML, which is great, because I don't know it. Um, And although you can do fancier things if you do know HTML, without it, you can make it look really beautiful. You can have pictures scroll through it. You can have different pages with reviews, different pages for each product. Um, There is an app for your phone. It'll tell you when you have an order that comes in. You can click a button on that order when it's fulfilled, um, and, and so on. Um, it, you can set different shipping prices for different parts of the world, um, and so on. So I found it a very, I, I would say it, it, it was surprisingly easy to set up a store. It took almost, it, it was like an afternoon's worth of work. I mean, I tinkered with it to make it more attractive but it, it required no special skills, was completely free, and took maybe an afternoon to do on Big Cartel, which I still use. I'm going to be buying a professional upgrading to premium, which will let me have the number of products I have, will have on there. Um, and I'm also going to try out some other apps for it. They have, uh, up till now, I've bundled my own PDFs, which is a real headache. I've emailed them individually to people who bought a zine. Not ideal. Uh, but there is a new app called Slingshot that you can integrate with Big Cartel. And I'm going to try that for PDF delivery. I'm not sure. But yeah, so I set up a web store. I, you know, I made the zine. I set up a web store and I just promoted it on social media and drove people there. I do also sell PDF copies on drive through RPG and itch.io, um, which, yeah, but mainly through drive through RPG, um, which is a bit more of a headache in the sense that until you get verified by them, and I think you have to have like two products before you can get verified. They have a big, delay on when you, they have to examine your product. Before oh, it's more than, it.
0: it's more than two. I think okay. I have, I've at least, I think I have at least three, maybe
2: four products and they're still doing it. But you have to ask for it. You should ask for it. Try to be it. off the verification See, to be. Yeah. Because then you can just upload your own products right away. And What's interesting is I I I've also uh,
0: did products for the community content for um, for the Cypher system and no delay because I think it goes to the publisher and they're the ones that monitor if it's a, if it's a, a, a community or the for community content.
2: Yeah. I mean, this is something to warn people about who are just starting out. It, it's really awkward because when you first start using drive through RPG, it's very easy to get set up. It's not hard. It's not hard to, Upload your product. It's not hard to um, do, do get it set up. But the problem is that they put a long window to like personally check it and approve it. And then you don't control when it appears. So you can't time right. it to appear with when you start to sell print issues. So I had an awkward thing where through Altan's Door it briefly appeared on Drive RPG before I was selling it. Cause I was trying to wait to sell it till, you know, but there was no way to do it. I couldn't make the timing line up. So then I took it down and then they had to approve it again. <laughs> so then it was like a, just a huge fiasco. Uh, and so I do think that that is one problem with drive-through RPG. They also take a hefty cut of your.
0: Oh, they do. Um,
2: and, PDF I, sales.
0: and I think also, and I think I'm going to have, uh, maybe talk with some people too, just about that process, because I find that. The interface is pretty ugly, and pretty hmm. kind of you can navigate through it. But then when I went to the affiliate program, the um, or the, the community content, it looks like it's the same, but it behaves differently, and it's a different set of links. It's a different set of logic for doing the exact same thing.
2: And I've just, yeah, it's like I don't understand. I know it's, it's no, it's it's weird. Um, it seems suboptimal. I mean, the only thing that's good about it is that it reaches people you might not otherwise reach. And oh, that's a, lot of a fact. People ha- and a lot of people have most of their purchased uh, digital content through them. So they kind of want to buy it through there. Because then it's in a library, and they always know they can go and get it again from there. Um, so sometimes yeah. I send people a PDF, and they're like, could you please just give me a free drive-through RPG? <laughs> Link because I want it through there, and I'm like, yeah, okay, sure, but um, but yeah, no.
0: Yeah, I agree, and I think it's it's definitely you're right. They do take a big a big chunk, but they do provide generally a somewhat of continuous traffic to view your product, even though it's a narrow tail that goes on to infinity. But there's still a trickle continuous traffic.
2: Exactly. That's been my experience as well.
0: Yeah. I I mean, not to derail, but I I just find that even putting products out there and seeing how they sell, when they sell, how long they sell, what things affect it, changing prices, see what that affects. It's really kind of interesting to see, you know, how that all operates. It's not, um, I've, I've come to realize that I, you know, Drive through is really good for initial sales, and I think it's good for trickle, but it's not really good for any sort of sustained. Um, I don't want to say sustained income, but in st- sustained sales.
2: Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, my experience has been, you know, a spike when I first release it, and then um, a, a trickle is accurate. I mean, it's been continuous, but it, it's not a large amount. I mean, um, yeah,
0: yeah, and then they take thirty five percent, which is fine because at least they provide. I mean, in my mind they they do provide a platform, and they do provide um, traffic they wouldn't normally get. Yeah. Well, sixty five. I Yeah, it's I guess, worth it. Yeah, but go ahead. Well, it's say you can save if you want to just do exclusively through drive through. Um, it's I think they only charge thirty um, percent, right? And if you do right. not exclusive, it's they charge thirty five percent. And if you yeah, do an affiliate like program that. or a community content, then it's 50%. Well,
2: yeah, I've never, uh, you know, exclusive never appealed to me because I was never going to do um, just PDFs or uh, print on demand. So, um, so for me, I, uh, I, I wanted, uh, I do, I never, I don't want to sign over any of it. I don't want to sign it over to them. Um, I'm going to have to do it through my own web store. Um, But if you're just doing PDFs, then it's uh, maybe not a bad idea. I mean, my basic take on it is that it's worth it because the traffic gets you more than the 35% cut costs you. So, you know, they are offering something that's valuable, but it's um, it's not perfect.
0: Well, and I think when people also, uh, you know, can as customers you go and look at sales, you, you may or not sales, but you look at the price of an item. And then, you, if you know what your, your metals mean at different sales levels, you can do the calculations and you can, you can kind of figure out what a, a publisher is making, and you'll find out it's really not a lot.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
0: it, even yeah. big publishers, when you start doing that calculations, not, not, not like Watsi, but, you know, even like the, the, the Monty Cooks and such, you look at some of their products and you're like, wow, you know, there's some of these products have not gone very far, even the ones published by that company. And you realize most yeah. of their monies has to be made elsewhere.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's a funny thing with that, which is where, you know, if you're making a lot of your, if you're selling things and it's about the physical product, then you know the PDF in a way is easy. You, you know, so if you can just park it somewhere and just have let people have at it and they pay a fair price for it, and you just get a, a, a cut of that, you know, it's attractive in a way because you don't have to touch it, you don't have to worry about it. Um, you know, the and that's how it is with my zine. Like in a way, the real business is all the print versions and that's where my energy is focused and that's where I kind of want it to be focused I don't really want to have to right but yeah
0: so you decided that you're going to put this out on for print you put up your web store so before you start selling uh any of these zines uh, do you do you um print a certain amount of stock or yeah. are you print on so demand sh- basically
2: no, uh, sure, I'll tell you how I do it now. And this does require some investment. So this model wouldn't work for everybody. Um, like, I, I, I didn't start out this way. I started out with much smaller investment, but now this is how I do it because it saves me the heartache. Uh, the way I do it is first, I, w- once I, I have the thing, the electronic version of the thing, that is once it's laid out, has art in it, is ready to go, ready to print. I I work with a local printer. Um, I don't, a lot of people do mix them, and and now there are other services even, and they're really good. Um, No knock against it. It seems really high quality. That is the way those services work are they're online printers where you they will print zines for you and then ship all those zines to you like in big boxes, and then you distribute them yourself. And they have, they're built to do that. So they have tons of options and they do a really, really, some of the zines I've seen that people do with them are really, I, I, yes, I don't do that partly because I'm providing my own paper and partly because I, I'm just wanna control the process a little bit more. So when you say so, provide your own paper, you're saying is you have specific yeah. paper
0: you want to use mm-hmm. for this and you don't
2: want- Very strange in this regard. I mean, but that's partly because I, I yes, particular. So I'm using this paper, very fancy paper uh, made by a company, a kind of family owned company, a small kind of craft paper company called French Paper Company. Um, and they uh, make a really, really nice paper. And what I do is I buy it from them, and I take that paper to a local printer. Um, in the past, I've worked with the Indigo Print Shop, which is um, a small print shop in Chicago. I think I might try Alpha Graphics this time around, which is a bigger outfit, and I think could give me a better price. Um, but I bring them the paper, I bring them the digital files, and. Uh, and they print up the stock for me. For for issue one and two, I then assembled the zine myself. So they would literally just give me big boxes of printed zines, you know, like collated, one zine stacked on top of another yeah. in just big boxes. And I would take them home and then I would assemble them myself.
0: So before we um, go too far, so when you say assemble. So that means uh, scoring each piece of paper. Is that what you're saying?
2: So yeah, what I'm saying, yep. Uh, yeah, so, I'll tell you the process. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. It's it's yeah, so it's pro-
0: it, it's not easy, right?
2: No, it's not easy. Like at the quickest, I think I ever got it. It was about seven and a half minutes a zine. I or no four, maybe four and a half minutes. I'm exaggerating. Dude, did I did do, doubled the time? It's not that much. Four minutes or something is. Easy. But what what I do is. I score each page. I have a, something called a Score Pad Pro, which yep. has these ridges in it. It's really great, and it, it comes with this little faux uh, bone. What do they call those? Uh, the it, you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, they call um, it a bone something. Got, I don't remember what it is, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But they they it's got it's got one of those these little things, and it's got these ridges, and so you can go right in exactly the half of the page exactly. Right. You know, score it lightly and then i fold it and i have a roller a rubber roller that i roll along the spine and so i do each page of the zine assembling it that way and then i, I do that for a bunch of zines and then i take them over to a table and i staple them you know trying to get the staple just yeah. so using a long arm stapler right on the spine in two spots and then i uh, also press them to make them more flat when I go. like When you like say pressing,
0: do you, you, what do you mean by, what are you using for your press?
2: I literally just use two pieces of cardboard and then heavy stuff on top of it. So like books. So what I do is I take zines and I flip them over. I do, you know, front to back, front to back, like five. And then I put a, uh, maybe six. And then I put a, a second piece of cardboard on. And then I put like lots of books on it, say, or any heavy thing I have. I have around, and so I get these piles <laughs> during the process. There are like all these piles of compressing books, and it, it, it's very time consuming. I I'm telling you what I've done in the past, but I have to say, in the future, I'm going to pay the print shop to assemble and trim the zines just because I can't do it anymore. Right. Um. And especially if I'm printing three zines, it would take me like six weeks to get stock together, even and and. My family bears a cost because I have to t- kind of take over the downstairs, <laughs> you know, to, for right. the operation. And it's like a big hullabaloo and it, and it just takes too long. So I'm going to start having them do it because print shops can do beautiful stuff. They can trim stuff in a way you could never trim it. Oh, I didn't mention trimming the zine. That's another thing. So the steps are scoring the pages, folding them, stapling them. Pressing them and then trimming them. Those are the steps. So what I found when I score my
0: paper, uh, you still have to kind of fiddle with it to make sure your pages, the edges line up before you actually, I use the, the bone knife, or whatever that's called to flatten it. I don't have a roller, but it, you can't just fold it in half and it's good to go. You actually, to me, you have to still take care to make sure it's lined up well before you start actually doing that final crease in there.
2: For sure, and you you kind of get it in your body how to do it, but it all you also need a guide. I mean, the one thing I like about the Scorepad pro is it has. Sorry, this is very granular, but yeah. it has, it has a a rid, you know it has like a ridge like almost like a cutting board with a lip, on either side, and so you put it right up against that, and then when you score it right down the middle, when you fold it over, you're lining up, lining it up with that edge, and yep. without that, I don't even know how you would even start to do it but you can still screw it up even then yeah so that's what i'm saying
0: yeah you gotta take care with it you can't just go flip it's not like you score it and flip it right over you have to take your time and make sure it's you know yeah the
2: the roller helps with that though this is one thing you might want to get because the roller makes it a little less fussy um making the um the the fold, but yeah, all of it. I mean, getting the staple in on the spine, right, is hard. And unless you jury rig something that really fixes the long arm stapler, so that it's always at the right length, it's it's uh, quite a delicate operation to get it placed just so. So there's a lot of fussy bits for sure. I got a
0: Bostitch uh, booklet stapler. You can still do. You can you, if you're not careful, you can still mess up. But it, at least it gets a lot closer, easier. I think.
2: Yeah, they I tried then, that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's great that it works for you. I just for whatever reason it didn't. I couldn't make it work for me. So, but each person finds their own weird little thing, you know. Um,
0: yeah, but even then, you still have to be careful of your paper before you staple it that you keep everything tight. I mean, it's none of this manual process is quick or easy. I mean, it's just it it takes time.
2: No, if you wanna if you wanna do it yourself and you're assembling it yourself, it's, it is, it's It's kind of a painstaking process. You get a lot better at it, and it goes faster, but you also make a lot of mistakes, and it's frustrating, for sure. That's part of the fun of it in a way, but within limits.
0: Right, right. It, it, it's fine for maybe 100, but not fine for 600.
2: Correct, correct. <laughs> Your math is good, I think. Uh, 100, you know, <laughs> Like the first fifty will almost be fun. Yeah. Once you figure it out, and then it'll get to be a little bit of a drag. But if you're only going up to a hundred, it's no big deal. Like that. That's that would be yeah true to my experience.
0: So the paper. So okay, this is what I find kind of interesting. So you 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 pick some paper from an obscure shop from some other state. Yeah. Like like what's with that? Like how do you come up with this is the paper I want?
2: Well, okay, good question. So, And how could you possibly order the paper without having seen it? Well, the, these pa- paper companies will send you samples. So for example, if you pay, I forget how much it is, $30 or something, mm-hmm. maybe it's $50, I don't know. But you send it to the French paper company and they send you literally uh, two sheets of every single paper that they make in a box. And so then there are no questions. I mean, you just see it, you right. can see it, you can feel it, you can print on it and see what it's like. Um, there's no uncertainty and and um, other paper companies do that too. Uh, that's, I think, and you can often order individual sample. You can do it sheet by sheet um, for some kinds that don't have like a package deal and, uh, and that, i think you have to if you're going to do it that way but you know the more ordinary thing would be just if you're going to have it printed at a printer just let the printer do that because they will normally have a lot of options they'll tell you especially if it's a big place what kind of paper do you want and they'll have nice paper and not so nice paper and you'll be able to pick and see right there if you're doing it at a print shop if you're doing it at home you have to order the paper yourself you can't get around it Anyway, but, but, but yes, I, I got the sample box. Um, I was put onto this paper by my friend, Nick Kunst, who is a comic artist and so cares about papers. He does indie comics. He also does D&D things. But, um, and so, uh, yeah, I just ordered this big crazy box of stuff. And then I started um, uh, like checking it out and saying what worked and didn't work. Um, <laughs> it's like
0: yeah it's it's uh i think that's an important thing to, to consider that um you know it's a scale of these things is just is is can, can really make a big difference um
2: yeah i mean if i were going to advise people on how to do this especially if they were starting out i would say not to do this kind of thing i would say the best thing you could probably do if you want to keep it simple is to bring a digital product to a print store or, or print it at home just using very simple decent paper, but that's not very fancy because fancy paper will break your, will start to missile on your print heads and cause you a lot of, a lot of trouble,
0: yeah. a lot of suffering. And I think it depends on your printer. I've, I'm gonna try, I've got a, 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 a photography printer that it just passes straight mm. through. So I think I, I might just start using it for that instead.
2: Yeah, ink can be really expensive, but yeah, and that might be good for like maps or like covers or well cardstock and stuff. yeah. And
0: I don't think I would ever use it for fulfilling a, a Kickstarter, but I, you know, one thing I've I've uh, been thinking about is you know what about non standard sizes? Like you know if you can buy a a, a uh, whatever size, uh, it's not reading, but it, a stack of, of paper, and you could go take it to a, a a print shop, and they could trim it to any size you want. Yeah. Why, you know, what formats could we
2: play with that would
0: make what we're wanting to do even more fun?
2: Yeah, for sure. You're totally right, and they can. Yeah. They are, make it. Why are we limited crazy, by that? They have the. No, we shouldn't be. They have these machines that can just shear through like. you you know, paper to a very precise, um, so they, you know, like um, Alpha Graphics was asking me like down to the centimeter, you know, the millimeter or whatever, what, like what dimensions do I want on it? And it's clear they could trim it. And um, yeah, there are all kinds of possibilities. You're right. And it's, it would be fun to think about that. Um, I have seen, um, I have seen square zines, um, I, I, I have seen them, but I, I, um, yeah. Yeah. Not many, just a couple. Right. And it's just, it's,
0: it's, if that's a case, I mean, then it's, then, you know, I'll hold or, or how that phrase is, it's getting laid, but, uh, it's just that I think we're, I think in the beginning, it's very good, at least for me to, you know, my choice is limited. So for me to learn what I'm learning uh, the zine's been perfect because uh, the digest size is because um, of the constraints. Yeah. But then once you, yeah, once you, once you master or at least or maybe not master, but you gain competency in the constraints, then you can start moving outward from there.
2: Yeah, the the I mean the thing that's attractive about the normal size zine is, is just it's literally just a normal size piece of paper folded in half, so so that has a simplicity if you're starting it out for yourself. But you're I think you're right that if you have the industrial trimming equipment and with the precision and everything, which all professional printers do. Then you're right. You could try a lot of things. And I haven't even scratched the surface of, you know, like um, Jacob Hurst of uh, Hot Springs Island yeah. fame um, does like zines with glitter on them and, you know, does all kinds of weird things with the paper and um, different materials and stuff. And I, I do think there are whole like worlds you could explore there. Yeah. So
0: what other things would you, uh, I guess, warn or counsel people in, you know, deciding to, um, as far as, you know, the printing and distribution of.
2: Yeah, I I would say if you're going to do it yourself, um, if you're going to do distribution and printing yourself, um, my advice to you would, first of all, to be to print out your stock before you start selling. I made a big mistake of not doing that. I just had some and it seemed to be going well. Uh, and then I put them on sale and then I ran into problems and it was so stressful.
0: Oh, you mean, cause so, you, it was successful,
2: more successful than expected? Is that what happened? Well, I just thought it was gonna proceed on problematically on my end but then I ran into all kinds of problems and then I had orders piling up and I needed to fulfill them. And I found that super stressful. And so, you know, you, you have to understand that if you're doing it for the first time, you're going to run into snafus. And so, I would recommend to save yourself the stress, just pick how big your print run is going to be. 100 zines, that'd be a good start. Um, 200 zines, that's um, f- more ambitious, but fine, good uh, amount to have. I think that would be fine too. Um, or even less, Um, but whatever you you feel comfortable with just starting, and then you can put it on sale. And if you're doing a web store like Big Cartel, when you run out, you just say you're sold out. Yeah, I noticed
0: that. Well, when I saw it said sold out, I was like, did you kickstart this? And then you ran your run and then the run's done. And it's
2: like, no, I, I just did it, you know, because I didn't, there are two factors. One is how much stock do I have? But the other factor is not wanting my life back. Mm. So I will admit that um, I've actually never flat out run out of stock. Um, rather, orders have slowed down. You know, my stock has diminished, but I, I just can't be selling zines all the time. I know myself that I won't. I won't fulfill the orders in a timely way because it'll become too onerous. Right, And so I have to stop. Until I'm ready to really focus on it. Uh, and so give yourself that freedom. That's what I would say. Get some stock before you start selling and then be ready to pull the plug when you're not ready to keep doing that all the time and when it's seeming stressful. Uh, I would say start small. Um, you know, that would be another piece of advice, uh, I guess. Um, uh, and the, the thir- the last thing I would say is, um, if you are thinking of having it printed at a print shop, talk, just go talk, call on the phone or go to a bunch of print shops in your, whatever, where do you, you know, depending on where you live, there may or may or may not be many, you know, the ones that there are make the rounds and find out what they can do at what price, because no two print shops sell at the same price um, for things like this. Well,
0: one thing I've also noticed is there's a lot of printing companies, but I don't know how many of them are print shops. And I think it's going to necessitate calling them because when you just look up, do Google, it's like they could just be doing photocopying. As far as I know, they don't, may not actually have, you know, other services and it's not always clear.
2: no, that that's absolutely true. And a lot of the places don't really want you to walk in anyway. They mainly want you to send them an email and then they will tell you whether they can do the job and um, not. Um, so, you know, I've done both those. I've called around. I've also walked into a print shop. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's right. But the main thing is that for little jobs like this,, uh, you know, there is no fixed price, basically. <laughs> So you gotta find out what people are willing to do for how much.
0: Well, and I think the thing is for people to realize too, is that there's economies of scale. And so the more money, the more, the the larger your order, the cheaper it is individually. So, you know, a lot of times a small run is kind of expensive, but then each increment is just a smaller amount of an increase.
2: Yeah, yeah. In theory, digital printing shouldn't work that way, but it does just for ordinary business reasons. Even though it's no more expensive to print five than 100, they um, do, of course, offer discounts on scale just because it's worth it. Yeah,
0: well, time I would imagine that there's still labor involved. Like that somebody still has yeah. to load the file. They probably. Yeah print it they probably look at it there's probably some adjustments that may need to be done sometimes maybe you know whatever may be there's just a headache to start something up
2: yeah that that's true that that's true for sure um yeah okay
0: well i think we covered uh, quite a bit this evening and i, think I so still too. think there's huh <laughs> um and i think the idea is that you know i think what's encouraging too it's like there are there are options right so you know i guess with a takeaway is that there's not you know if you are start out small you can start out small and print yourself or you can you know if things start becoming too large there are options out there uh to be able to just depends on how much of a headache you want to deal with is really what it comes down to right
2: yeah that's right
0: how Um, how much your significant other is going to put up with uh with paper scattered all over
2: yeah yeah Exactly.
0: So what you're doing is you're throwing you're throwing money to eliminate uh, stress and time.
2: Yeah, I, yeah, that that's right. You pay a, a certain premium because you think I want a chunk of my life back, and it's worth it to you. Right. Because yeah. I mean, we're not getting rich off
0: this, and so it's like, why am I getting stressed? You know, for just a little bit less money, I could have no stress and have more fun.
2: Yeah, I mean, especially if you're doing it as a kind of hobby thing, and I understand that some people really are trying in very serious ways to supplement their living or to make a living doing this, and it's sort of a different proposition, I guess. But yeah, for the kind of thing that I do, uh, if if it's causing me a lot of pain, the math isn't working out. Right. No, it's not. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, again, thank you very much, Ben. I appreciate your time, and uh, we'll be talking again.
2: Yeah, it was wonderful to talk to you.
0: Tim Shorts can be reached in a variety of ways. On Twitter, he's at Gothridge Manor. His blog is gothridgemanor.blogspot.com. His podcast, just search for Gothridge Manor, and Hunters and Death can be found on Drive RPG. Ben Lawrence can be found on Twitter. He's at Ben Lawrence, one. That is B E N L A U R E N C E, and the number one. He also has a blog. It's at Miserion's Garden, one word, dot You can also find his storefront at Through Old Tan's Door, that's a single word, dot Big Cartel, that's a single word, dot com. On Drive Through, you can find him by searching Through Old Tan's Door. I am Jeff Jones. I can be found on Twitter. I am at I underscore am underscore Jeffrey. And Jeffrey is spelled J-E-F-F-R-E-Y. All this information is in the show notes. And I'm sure it's much easier to click that than it is to type this in. Uh, is this, uh, Eric Tankar?
3: uh, guilty as charged. And this is, uh,
0: uh Jeff Jones, Jeff Jones. Oh, I, yeah, all right, you cool. know, yeah. I, 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 didn't have your number. I, I, was, you know, I got these questions that kind of coursed through my mind and I thought I've listened to your podcast for a while. And I'm just thinking, man, you know, I bet you're the perfect person to answer these questions. And I thought, you know, if I could just get your number, I didn't have your number, but I did interview Tim shorts and, and he was kind enough to give me your phone number.
3: I don't know whether to thank him or curse him, but we'll, we'll decide that one later, I guess.
0: Yeah, I would say don't give him your phone number if you don't want him to give him to just random people that he meets. But anyway, that's what it is. I, I got a question for you. Fire away. Okay. So it's been bugging me for a while. So you and I have been gaming, not together, obviously, but you know we've been gaming for a long time, way back, You know, first edition, pre-first edition, whatever. In all these books, all these monster manuals we've, we've gone through, I mean, a lot of monsters, right, have been written. I mean, just hundreds, not thousands. Easily. But, you know, I, I'm going through this whole thing and I'm thinking, you know what? And especially going back to the early years with Gary Gygax, I mean, he had all the iconic stuff, right? And we had, you know, the mummies, you know, ghouls, and ghosts, and whites, and all these things, all the obvious stuff he's picked up. But I got to thinking, man, there's some, there's some obvious, at least one obvious thing that he really missed.
3: Really?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know why. I just don't know how. But I was just thinking, you've seen The Wizard of Oz, right?
3: I, I have. Not in a while. But yeah, I have.
0: Okay. Uh, so in there, I mean, the most iconic thing is like flying monkeys. And it's like, to me, like the most obvious thing. And why do we not have flying monkeys in D&D? Well, um,
3: strangely enough. Uh, I, years ago, one of the, my, uh, probably my, my first paid for project, and when I say paid for, it wasn't really paid for by much, uh, but uh, I did some magic items for a now defunct publisher. And uh, one of the items was a flying monkey, but it it wasn't a monkey as in Wizard of Oz. It was based on uh, these flying slingshot monkeys you can get from woot.com. Which is uh, now it's now owned by Amazon, but back in the day, it was its own own website, and they'd have a deal of the day, and once in a while the woot monkeys would come up, and the their arms were slingshot material, so you would you would cup the uh, two monkey hands onto your onto your fingers like your middle finger or your pointer finger, and then you'd slingshot them, and we used this in my office when I was at work, so. It worked great until we had the chief come in, and I almost hit him in the head with a monkey. But uh, we had fun with those. So, yes, they do exist. And, of course, the problem of having more than one phone line is that more than one phone line rings. But uh,
0: Well, I'm yeah. sure other people have questions for you, too.
3: I Well, uh, whoever it was didn't bother even sticking around. That must have been a wrong number because, you know what? If you have another question, I'm gonna to have to turn this one into oh I have no idea how to. Here's the problem with the new phone that people can see what I'm doing right now, but I don't know how to put in silent silent mode as I just got it the other day. All right, well we'll see how that works.
0: Yeah, so anyway, so these flying monkeys, did they so they didn't have wings or just a magic item that you No,
3: no, it was just a magic item and you literally slingshotted them at your opponent. I even forget what they did. This is my god, six, seven at least seven years maybe longer maybe longer Damn. so
0: so do you own the rights to this to this flying monkey no
3: no i do not
0: so so do the, the this now defunct company do they do they own they, the rights to your right own the
3: rights and their products are no longer up on drive through. so i might still have a copy of it on my on my hard drive i'd have to look for it. well you know Especially i will on the, say on, on the taverns uh, blog
0: I will say in lieu of actually having a an, an honest-to-goodness flying monkey write-up, I think that's a close second is to have a magic item where you launch flying monkeys at people.
3: Well, you know, I, I uh, you have to – that was my inspiration for that. I did a lot of stupid magic items back then. I like to have magic items that were not very powerful but were useful.
0: Well, I, I don't the, uh, know. I think a flying monkey shot at a person <laughs> is probably one of the most useful magic items I can imagine.
3: Well, and they scream when you slingshot them. Even better. You had, you had the flying monkey, you had the, uh, the beer bear, which uh, you would take the head off the teddy bear, and it was... Uh, That's kind of horrifying. Well, yeah, but it, <laughs> it, 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 it was like a, a, a bear bear, and it... Bear, beer, bear, and it came in either Pilsner or Stout and basically gave you like six pints a day.
0: Well, maybe that. we had to write up a, a bear that once you kill it, you take its head off and you can pour beer out of the bear.
3: Well, as in, well, oh, as an actual that would be bizarre actual creature. Uh, but I think it could work in certain types of campaigns, certainly a one shot.
0: Well, I don't uh, know. I could think of a use in every game as far as I'm well, concerned. I'm sure everybody's yeah, going to be good for I, that. So
3: I, but the actual <laughs> why would it exist is where – why would there be – Well, we're not worried about bears this. Bears that bleed beer. Can you imagine if you could tap a bear for beer? Yeah. Oh, this is out of cruelty coming out of me. Just uh, uh, I'm going to be disowned by Peter.
0: Well, I think – I think you gave me a good idea. I think I'm going to hang up now and see if I can maybe look work on a write-up, or maybe we can uh, collaborate on this, because I think there's a market for this. Uh,
3: see, I think there's yeah, a market. I'm glad it was disturbing enough to uh, spark a creative interest. No oh,
0: man. yeah. Thank you. Now I won't be able to sleep tonight. I've spent all night writing this thing up, but thanks. Thanks, you. Oh, some
3: people might not sleep because of <laughs> it, for other reasons. It's, that it's disturbing, but okay. Oh, okay. All right, man. <laughs> Later, man. You got it.